Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. Today's guest name is Jim Zoki. Jim is on the show today to talk to us about how to build a board of directors, why a board of directors is important, the functions that a board of directors plays, actually how to strategically build them with the different roles and experiences, and then what happens if you need to upgrade your talent of your board if you already have a board of directors set up. Jim has a ton of experience to be able to speak to this because he started his company Cardinal Mark Inc., decades ago in the executive search firm, and he was recruiting for billion dollar companies to help search for CFOs, CEOs, and top execs. He got into the board of directors search because they understood Jim knew their culture and what they were trying to do and where they were going so well that it was natural fit to start building the board of directors and searching for the board members for these companies. And the reason that I wanted to have Jim on the podcast is because I think board of directors or board of advisors is this perceived resource that billion dollar companies have. But the reality is any size company can utilize a board of directors and if set up correctly, the business owner or entrepreneur that is willing to put the effort in will get dividends back because of the level of expertise they're surrounding themselves with. They're holding themselves and their company accountable, and they're looking out for the stakeholders and bridging the gap between where they want to be and where they are today with the people that have been there and done that. So Jim lays out specifically how to build a board, the things that you need to do, the things to look out for, how to compensate them, and then how to actually set up the the bylaws to make sure that everything goes correctly, but then also how to upgrade your members should the fit not work. I think this is an absolute must listen for anybody because an executive CEO peer group is not a board of directors and Having the right employees is also one thing, but this is something that I think is applicable to anybody that wants to take their company to the next level and then help guide them in the direction that they need to go. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy the interview with Jim. Good morning, Jim. How are you doing? Great. Good to talk to you, Ryan. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I, uh, you know, Your expertise is something that I think is is really missed out in the mid-market entrepreneurs and the the businesses that are in our community. And we came across each other through uh, a local event that people host um, called Club E, and where you just recently did a panel. But for our listeners, before we kick it off, can you just kind of give a little bit of a background of how you got into the business that you are today? Sure, Ryan. I would love to talk about it. I'll give you, a, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back a ways even to give you some, some, some better background is so whenever I sit down with a CEO that I'm going to either do work for or that we're going to potentially recruit to a board of directors, I ask one question. It's, and it's a truism I find with every successful business person. I say, something happened to you between the age of five and age 20 that changed, that shaped who you are today and the success you've had in your career. And I ask him, what is that? And the answers I get are just amazing the stories that they tell tell me and so in doing that i also said well i have to ask answer that question so let me answer that to you is so i grew up uh born and raised in rochester minnesota 
Um, and I was a avid hockey player growing up, but I went to the Catholic school. They didn't have a hockey team. But so I switch high schools and I go to Rochester Mayo, my alma mater. And, you know, as a shy young guy coming in, didn't know anybody. And I try out for hockey. And what I see happened was I was doing the tryouts and the most famous hockey player in Rochester was one of my coaches at one point in time. His name is Art Strobel. Art came up and talked to the, the varsity hockey coach and he pointed me out and he made a comment to him. I couldn't hear him, but he made a comment to him. Later on, after I had made the team, I asked him, so that first day of practice when Art Strobel came in, what did he say to you? And he said, hey, pay attention to Jim. He's a good hockey player. He works hard. He's going to go places. And so he made the decision to put me on the team partly by that, that reference from Art. And to this day, what the passion I have for helping companies and helping individuals was born back when I was 15 years old. And saw that how if somebody, if you determine to go out of your way to help somebody, you can pay it forward. And that's kind of the way I, I build my life on. So I grew up in Rochester, influenced heavily by my father, Big Ed. Uh, he owned his own business. And he was very much a part of the community when he died at 93. You know, there's not many people left at 93. He filled the church. And so I could see the impact that that had. That really had a big influence on me. My first job out of college. I worked for a company called Burroughs Corporation. It's now called Unisys. And Burroughs um, sold accounting computers to first-time computer users. So I went and had a territory in St. Paul, and I cold-called businesses to say, tell me about your business. Tell me about what you do, and maybe I can help you with this thing called a computer, which they didn't know much about in 1976. And I really learned about how businesses run and how does a company make money. So. Uh, you know, I did that for a number of years and was in a technology executive. And then 25 plus years ago, I decided to go and switch careers. I wanted to run my own thing like my father had done. And I started in the executive search business. And one guy really set me straight when it comes to boards. There's a close friend of mine here in the Twin Cities by the name of Greg Palin, maybe one of the more famous board members. He was formerly the chairman of Polaris and he was on the Valspar board. He's been on a dozen other boards and he's really well known and we talked about i'd helped him i was sat on his board of directors i helped him with his board and he said you know there's a, there's a real market here for the mid-size company to have have a board or to upgrade their board and nobody pays attention to it and so that's the reason why i focused on it and i've had an amazing career with that in the last 10 years focusing just on boards and and helping them up I, I love it. And that specifically, you're, you know, you're the last point about the opportunity in the mid-market, which is kind of where, where we're going to address today. But it's a really cool story. So, I mean, how did you go from, so did, you, did your company start in an executive search and then you migrated into boards or how, what's the kind of the correlation there? Yes, we have two companies. We have Cardinal Mark, which is an executive search firm. And we, we usually got in, and what we, we do it a little bit different because we get really tight with the senior executives with the company and we help them in the really the most difficult searches that they need. Uh, could be anywhere in the world. Uh, the company could be located in the world. So we have lots of different clients. But what when you get close to the senior executives, if it's a company, it could be a public or a private company, they go, I could use some help with my board. And Jim, I trust you because you understand our number one, our culture, and number two, our business. And it'd be nice to have somebody that that out there representing our company. And so that's uh, we backed into to it. And then we did some board searches and realized this is completely different than a, a, an executive search that we might do for a, 
chief operating officer or chief financial officer or something like that. And we said, we should, we should, you know, make a business out of this. And that's when we, about 10 years ago, we started Cardinal Board Services to go out there and help companies build better boards. I love it. So if you, okay, so the difference between the executives that you're searching for and the board of directors, how do the board of directors that you're looking for, is there a common theme in the one question that you ask them? Well, I would say there's not, there's, there's 50% of the answers usually revolve around an influential person, a lot of times a teacher or somebody they knew that said, I see something more in you. You can do better. Quit, quit, quit coasting, push yourself a little bit. And the person woke up to that idea and they, they all of a sudden started trying harder in school or trying harder in their career. And it's just took a big jump up and they go, wow, maybe I should be, maybe I should really try to reach for the stars. And that's usually the, the one common thing that you'd see that somebody influenced them along the way. And, and then I'm assuming they just want to get back, give back as a board member, because I mean, that's, I mean, you're kind of switching roles and, and I, we can kind of get, get into that a little bit more as we talk about the types of candidates and, you know, why they, you know, from their perspective. So maybe before we do that, um, for the listeners, we can go back and go and ask some of the questions are, you know, why boards and maybe give your definition of exactly what, a, in your mind, what is a board of directors versus a board of advisors? Because I think some clarity around that is, is very important. Yeah, very good. Very, very good questions. So uh, so I, I, I asked myself the question, why are boards important? Well, you know, there's some places where there it's it's by law. So I, I use the phrase if, if you if you've got other people's money, OPM, other people's money, you're going to have to have a board. If you're an ESOP or if you're a public company or if you're a nonprofit in some other situations with private equity, if there's other people's money invested in your company, you're going to need a board either legally or, or ethically to, to, to watch over management to make sure it's being done right. So, so that's so sometimes it's a necessity and it's 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 legal. To, it's part of the, the law system of our law for the country to do that. But the second part is really governance. So the word governance, I, I was looking up a definition knowing I'm going to talk to you and I typed into Google and got the definition. But the Google has this uh, this thing now where you can see how how much is the word used. And since 19, 1980, the word governance appears nine times more often in our um, daily culture than it did today than it did in 1990. So people are thinking about governance, how to oversee things. And, uh, you know, you look at governance, it's, it's a lot like exercise. It's good for you, but it's work. <laughs> it might not feel good, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but it's good for you. But it's, it takes work. There's no question about it. Um, you have to, sh- and the other reason why you might have governance is you, you have to satisfy shareholders. You know, the best example is a multi-generational family-owned business. And, and a lot of our clients are that way, and they're on their third or fourth generation. And you can imagine by the time you get to the third or fourth generation, there's a lot of shareholders. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, grandpa had five kids, and those five kids had five it, it, the, the The family tree is pretty large. And so oftentimes governance is important because you have this big uh, group of private shareholders that have different needs or different desires to, to do things. And so, so that's an important part as so well. Before we, before we continue, you know, what was the actual definition of governance and what is, you know, as you continue to use it throughout the, the show, what, what are you kind of referring to in that mind, mindset? Oversight of management. Okay. Really straightforward oversight of management. Um, so, so the last reason why you might have 
uh, it, why, why people have boards is expertise. So some small companies may need they they may need to have some doors opened up in their industry because they're you know they have a small company and, and they need to understand how to get into a, to some customer base. So they may hire the expertise for that, or somebody might bring in expertise. One of the first board searches I did was a an old line manufacturing company that uh, you know you wouldn't think would be important, but they said we need to get somebody that understands Lean and Six Sigma because that's going to be our differentiating value to our customers going forward. And we, we're, we're on an active path inside our company. We can use a board member to help us make sure that we are investing in the right things and then oversee it. And so there's some expertise that person was able to bring to the board for a period of time. And you know, the last reason why, why companies look at boards and, and why they're important is it's, it's really one of the key elements to the optimization of the company. So when you're running a company, you look for ways to optimize. It could be, you know, it could be, you know, a CRM system, or it could be Lean or Six Sigma, you know, things like that. You look for optimizing always. But for the business itself, a board can help you optimize to keep you away from doing things that don't make sense and encourage you in ways that you're going to be able to grow faster or get into new markets, whatever it might be. I think those are very, very well said points to it. And okay, so at, let's think about like how you came from the, these large corporations, public companies, and now we're talking about bringing it into the mid market and this this opportunity that you referred to. Because I think everybody needs what you what you just said. And now I think that'll kind of bring us into some of the main points that we want to make. But what size companies? Is this applicable to? And what's the biggest difference between a board of directors and a board of advisors? Because I think, you know, and how do you formalize that? Because I think there's a big distinguish of having, you know, a really good, you know, friend, family friend or neighbor that gives you advice versus what you're talking about. I think there's some major distinctions that need to be made. Yep. So board, the difference between board of directors and board of advisors, I would say, is that uh, the board, when you have a true board of directors, they vote on issues that the companies are facing that needs to be put to a vote. And they can they can turn down that like it could be could be around compensation or it could be around an acquisition. They they often say that uh, in a public company, the board of directors to, has two main functions: to hire and fire CEOs and to approve strategy. And supposedly, and there's many other things that they do around audit and around governance and all the other things. But those are the two primary functions of a public board of directors. Well. You may have a private company, and you're not going to file. You're not going to fire the, the CEO. <laughs> right. Well, let's hire someone but, that's going to fire us. Right. <laughs> but there might be other reasons why you would have a board of directors. Part of it's because, like I talked about, you have a multi generational family. You want that board to put their stamp of approval on what the what the strategy is for all these shareholders, and they will say because oftentimes I know one local CEO of a of a family, a fourth generation family business. He said he spends 25% of his time just dealing with his family shareholders, just 25%. And so, so there's a lot of work that goes there. So you need a board to make sure that, that those family members feel comfortable that the strategy is right. So, and then if, for a board of advisors, there's a real simple test. If, if somebody owns more than 50% of the company, you're kind of really doing a board of advisors because they get to do whatever they want, right? Mm-hmm. They, own, they own the majority of the company. But but in reality, a board of advisors can act very much like a board of directors, but the ownership and the CEO goes off and does 
what they want anyway, but they're using them as a sounding board, um, which I'll go back to now using an example of what revenue size. And I used to, I used to have different opinions about this. You definitely, if you're a, if you're a billion dollar company, you probably or definitely need to have a board of directors or a board of advisors, you might say. Um, and it gets real fuzzy and gray between the two. But, but I'm thinking, well, what about if you're 50 or 25? Well, I knew a local company here in town. I know the CEO pretty well. He was brought in. He's not a founder. They had two founders and they were, the business was stalled out. He was brought in to be a catalyst to drive the business forward. Mm-hmm. Well, put together a board of advisors just to help, you know, just so it's not just his idea, but his board's idea. And one of the things, and he, he's a $5 million company. He grew it to 15 and then sold it. But one of the reasons why he looked at the board of advisors being so good is on a once a quarter basis, he had over a hundred years of experience sitting around his table talking about the strategy and the issues his company is facing. And, and because they were on the board, they knew the business from a financial standpoint, from a strategy, from a, you know, what the market sector is. They knew it well, and they, and they could provide some continuity from quarter to quarter to help him you know, guide the waters of what he's trying to do in building the company. So it isn't too small, but, but, but the one factor is you, if, if there's just one executive uh, and then there's, and they really don't have much management underneath them, a board of advisors or board of directors is probably not as effective or needed because you need to have a management team to be able to execute on all this as well. If you're a small business and you might even be 20 million in sales, but, but you know, all you have is some salespeople and some production people working for you. You don't need this board because you're going to, you're going to do what you want every day. Anyway, it's not going to bring you value. Well, I think you hit on a, a bunch of really good points. First of all, you know, I just think about when we were running our business, why would you not want that kind of advice sitting next to you and and actually helping you push you, yourself and, and the company in the right direction? And I think the biggest difference, too, is your employees always have some sort of stake in the game. So they're you're not going to get the purest advice outside of the bubble of where you're in. So getting the, the different angles and we can talk a little bit in a second about the different set of expertise. But uh, before we do that, can you explain, Jim, like I think a lot of people, from my, my experience, think that their Vistage group, EO group, or whatever peer group might replace a board of directors. Can you explain how those two maybe fit together or are different? So the a CEO coach, Vistage, um, YPO, CEO roundtable, there's lots of them out there. And what those are really for the CEO. So this is so the CEO goes into this, his, his roundtable group and says, here's the struggles I'm having. It could be at home, could be at the job, could do some key employees. He's got no one else to talk to. This is a set of peers that are not competitive that can really help him be a better performer as a CEO. That's what that's there for. Mm -hmm. The board of directors, the board of advisors is to help the company optimize. As I said before, it's optimization for the company. And so it's it's the CEO's got to have their own training, but you know, think of it this as, you know, a lot of professional athletes have personal coaches, but they also have a coach of their team. Mm-hmm. And it's just different. I think that was a perfect way of explaining that. Yeah, I think, yeah, because you, you don't, ha- I mean, in the peer groups, you're getting basic, you know, high level context, but you're not really in the trenches constantly working on the business. It's just more, you know, just random hot topics that are going on. So I think you did a very good, I totally agree with you. So then, you know, how, like, let's maybe uh, dive into how do you form a board? Like, where, in, where do you start? So the, 
there's there's really a couple of steps to do to, to build building a board. There's um there's kind of four or five steps. The first thing you do is you gotta, gotta realize this is something you want to do. You gotta come up with some bylaws. And and bylaws you can get, you can you can research and do them, but you need a set of rules to operate this board by. And you don't want them to be super stringent, but you don't want to be too lax as well. And so the bylaws become really important. It's, it's you know, it's it's your map going forward and can talk. But one of the things is, and we're going to talk about this is if I have a board, these are all things I can do to go back and improve my board as well. Can you give an example of some bylaws? Because I think, you know, I, I just think about the entrepreneurs that I know where they're so busy running their company and to sit down and do this is foresight, which is important. But like, are they putting rules in for themselves, for the board of directors, for their sure. company? What exactly sure. are some bylaws? And then there's one that's really a gotcha in almost every one I've ever read. So uh, so bylaws, we're going to be, it's going to be how many times a year we're going to meet. Are we going to have committees? What is their compensation plan going to be? What's our term limits going to be? Uh, you know, what, what what's our expectation? So all of the, so, so you're, do you have to abide by every little little detail? No, but at least you've written it down and thought about it. And so. Probably the number one mistake boards make in their bylaws is they have no way to get rid of a director. Mm -hmm. And and somebody goes, well, what's the big deal? And I said, let me tell you a story. So I have a son who lives out in Colorado, and he called me up one day. And he says, Dad, I'm thinking about moving in with Annie, my girlfriend. And I said, well, Adam, you're 30 years old. You don't need my approval. (laughs) Yeah, I don't need your approval, but but, but I'd like to understand, you know, kind of what your thoughts are. I said, well, Adam... Let me tell you something I've learned. It's really easy moving in. It's really hard moving out. <laughs> yeah. A few years later, he was moving out, and, and it was messy. And so a lot of bylaws don't think about when things aren't going well, like how can, how, you know, how do you get exit a director gracefully? Because, you know, you become close with them, and you don't want to tell them it's just not working anymore, or the business has changed, and we need somebody different. So you need to, mm-hmm. you need to think about that as well. So first thing is bylaws. Um, second thing is you need to determine your board makeup, meaning how many people do we want? What kinds of people do we want to, uh, to have on our board? I mean, it's, it's important. There's, I sat down with one, uh, board, the chairman of the board of a bank here locally, and we were talking about, you know, diversity and things like that. And he says, wow, that's a really good point, Jim. He said, you know, we've got seven people on our board and we're all guys over the age of 55. And he said, more than 50% of our customers are women. More than 50% of our employees are women. He says, and we don't have a single woman on our board sent mm-hmm. those groups. It's like, that's, that's crazy. And, and so you need to think about that and kind of what, what exactly can fill a gap. And it's more about where the company is going. So if you plan on, you know, one of the things that we always look at is if you're a billion-dollar company, let's get people with $2 billion worth of experience because – They've been there, done that, and so they will have known where the where the potholes are along the way. Or say you're a hundred billion dollar company on the way to five hundred billion. Let's get somebody that's gone from a hundred to five hundred. So, so determine that board makeup is important. Well, and you know, if I can interrupt for a second, because I think what's what's interesting about this and the whole concept of of having a board of directors for your uh, for your company in the mid market is 
most often I see people try to hire these people, you know, so you, you know, if you're a $20 million business and you want to get to 200 million, you go hire the person from Cisco and then you realize that they don't know how to actually work inside your right. company. So you're, you're getting the expertise, but you don't have to have a million dollars with the payroll with people that aren't actually executing correctly. That's right. Or, you know, the other mistake they make when they, when we're looking at the, uh, uh, the board makeup, they hire, they say, well, I'll get the board. I'll get my banker. I like him. He's a good guy. I, uh, <laughs> The, the, yeah. the lawyer, she's really helpful. She's helped us a lot. The problem with that is it's there's no independence there because if I'm already getting if I'm already getting paid to be your banker or your lawyer or whatever it is or your brother-in-law <laughs> or sister, <laughs> guess what? I'm not going to be independent. I'm not going to be objective because I because I have to continue that relationship with you outside of your board of the boardroom, and so it's. Well, isn't there like crazy conflicts of that? Because I'm just thinking if we would, I mean, putting your banker on there who wants to make sure that you have deposits, loans, specific things, you're never going to get true advice anyway. So the, the, I mean, the fiduciary or, or the prudent responsibility of the board of directors is not going to ever be able to, that there's just too much conflict there. Absolutely there? is. There absolutely is. Um, so the third point is, is director recruitment and onboarding. They, they both are important. So recruitment, we had a, 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 you know, somebody, we built a board from scratch and and the main owner of the business says, oh, I know some really good people. I'm really well connected. And we said to him, no, Mike, you, 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 we can't go there because those people already have a relationship with you. We need to find people that are of the highest value that can come and bring independence, objectiveness to it. And so that's really what we bring a lot of. And they get in every time it's happened, every time we've done a board search is the person we get is 2x what they thought they could attract. It takes some skill to go and and, and to be able to talk to the people to show them the opportunity and what the value is. But the, but this, the big mistake then comes is when they don't onboard the person correctly. And there's a lots of, there's a, there's a whole process of onboarding a, a board of directors member that's not dissimilar to employee, but it's not the same as an employee, but you need to do that. So that, because you don't want them coming to the first meeting and, and feeling like they're, they don't know what to say. And so you're like, wow, this person's not much value because the first three meetings, they didn't say anything. Well, you probably didn't, you know, uh, onboard them correctly. So what's an example of like how you would actually go about onboarding? Someone? So onboarding was, I, I'd have them come as an as a, um, observer for the first meeting or two. Can't say a word. You got to just sit there and listen. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd have them go to, the, go to the production facility, whatever they are. It could be a software house. It could be a manufacturing company. It could be distribution. I'd have them actually go there and spend a day seeing how they make money. I would have them go and I would give them the last two or three board books to have them study to see about the topics and the financials so they know what they're talking about when they get there. So those are some of the things you, you, you might do on top of just uh, just saying, you know, you know, shake their hand, say, welcome aboard. So. Yep. Yep. Well, and then, and then everybody understands. Well, because even if you're the other board members, I mean, I couldn't imagine if I'm the other board member and they, all of a sudden a new individual is sitting there and is just giving advice with zero background. Yeah. So you either have someone where you get that comp or that kind of tension, or like you said, they're quiet and you don't know why because they have nothing. They have no context to give advice on. So no matter what, yeah, the, the, there's not a good fit there. Then. So, so the fourth point then is um, board meeting execution. As important as setting everything up is, you need to have a plan for every board meeting. You need to put together the board book. It needs to get in the hands of the board members at least a week in advance so they can study it, so they can get so they're prepared when they get to the meeting. And then the meeting, you need to you need to execute it, uh, have that meeting, and, and you need to move it along. It needs to have a rhythm to it because otherwise you can you can take a left turn in the you know the, in, in how we're valuing inventory and spend an hour on that, 
and you, you don't get to the important topics. So you need to have, some, have a real plan and execute that over and over again, um, the, the board meeting. And then, mm-hmm. then the last piece is repeat. Just because you go in through this whole process once, you're going to just keep always, always going through this process to keep it fresh and, and, and going. So, um, go so, you know, before we continue, um, I think, you know, the one question I think everybody always thinks about is how much do these people cost and like, what is your obligation to them? So the, um, the there is a cost. There's always a cost. Even if you don't pay them something, it, there's the cost of time, the cost of materials and things like that. You, you really want to look at, um, you know, you want to understand what those costs are. You, you do need to pay your board members to be able to get, and it, it varies with every company. It varies vastly uh i use the example there's two multi-billion dollar public companies here in minnesota and you know one pays their board members 2x of what the other one does and the one that pays their board members less has 2x the the valuation in the market it's like well, why is that i mean it just it just mm-hmm. is but you do have to you do have to pay them and you do have to value them. and then you know there's time you may have off-site board meetings so once a year a lot of times what they do is they go to an off-site in a maybe in a remote manufacturing facility to see what see their facility in Mexico or see their facility in in Topeka, Kansas, whatever it might be, just to just to mix it up. Or we may have a, a board summit. We may have a three day board summit where we're getting together and talking about strategy with the with the executives. So there's there's lots of time and and there's some dollars involved. Not not as much as you think. The uh, and I would say that it's it, the commitment you make to those board members. Is that you're going to talk about this a little bit? How to be successful? How what makes a good or a great board? And part of it is your commitment to to be prepared. It's all about being prepared. So we hit. So when we're together, because we're busy people, let's make the most of our time. So what a I think that's a great uh, segue into you know what does make a successful operating board? Um, and I think you know one of the things that I think people struggle with is find like, what is it that we have to be prepared for? So what, what kind of information are we giving the board members prior? And then how do you pick the topics? I mean, is there like, do you run your board on like attraction or some sort of EOS kind of deal? Um, or like, how are you picking the hot topics to discuss or the board members actually flushing those? I'll kind of maybe shed some light okay, on that. Good. So, uh, what makes a good or slash great board? Um, so the, um, it's really, first off, it's a two-sided relationship between the CEO and his management and the board. You know, in, in I've, I've heard it be said, it's, and I think it's a good adage, says, think of it as a 10-year marriage. So go in there with that kind of, you know, the, the commitment that this relationship's a 10-year marriage. So I've been married for 34 years, and the similarities are striking between this quote that I just, I sent this to my wife the other day, and it's really true. It's, you know, marriage is two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. And that's so true about the board as well, because it doesn't go good every time. You can't give up on each other. And the second thing I, for to have a good board is this, is it's all about the stakeholders. It can't, it's not about just the shareholders. So there's, there, there's a handful of, you know, there's five main things that, that are, sta- five main people that are stakeholders, maybe a sixth at a time. One is the shareholders. Very important. We have to think about the shareholders. And, and when I say a stakeholder, it's who doesn't want to see the company fail? Who wants to see the company succeed? Your shareholders want to see it succeed. Your employees want to see it succeed. Your customers want to see it succeed. 
Your suppliers want to see it succeed. Your community wants to see it succeed. And the sixth one is government, because there's some businesses that we're in that are so, so severely or heavily government regulated. Having somebody on your board that understands how the government thinks can be a real benefit, like healthcare and health insurance, mm-hmm. things like that. So, but if you keep your focus on um, on the sh- on the stakeholders, not any one of them, if you, but but the full gamut, you're going to have a pretty uh, pretty good operative board. I was going to say, so like, okay, now that I, I think you laid that out beautifully, so how do you? then figure out the expertise that you need in order to make sure that all those people are, have a voice or some sort of representation to, so you've got a combination of how do you count for the voices in all those six, six categories? And then how do you also balance that with the skill sets that you want to help bring you in the company forward? Well, it's not easy. That's for sure. I think just by that question, you can tell it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, I was even had a hard time, like, okay, even formulating the thought because there's so many things that you have to accomplish with these select people that you're bringing on board. Well, I guess my point is it's awareness. And so you have that awareness and some companies do it from a standpoint of they have committees. So we all, we have an audit committee, for example, and an audit committee helps us with our government regulations of filing taxes and, and things. There's a compensation committee that, that talks. So you think about compensation of not just the CEO, but the whole company compensation, uh, which is addresses the employees. You, you might have a cyber security issue which is has to do with your customers for example you know you think about uh if equifax didn't have uh, a a cyber security committee they do now because it matters <laughs> so you, 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 oftentimes you you solve those by committees so um so when you're saying committee because i've been on a board for, of a nonprofit, so i have a pretty, i think i know what you're talking about where let's say you've got not you know eight people on your board of directors but three of them might be really skilled with compensation those three would be responsible for the compensation topic or something exactly. correct is that how you're exactly and they may go off to a study okay. it might be ceo compensation or it might be executive it might be bonuses and, and things like that and they're gonna they're gonna make recommendations and so that it's um uh, that that they're aware of. These are strategic issues that they're they're dealing with. And you don't want to spend a lot of time in the board, in the official board meeting every quarter. You want to have a report on it to make sure that people are paying attention. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's a huge point because, you know, instead of getting eight people's opinion when some people don't have the backgrounds and actually trying to solve the problem in the meeting. So it's not just about the, I mean, in the meeting, you should be giving the recommendations and giving the updates and all that stuff should be going on behind the scenes, correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So is there, like, how do you determine what kind of, whether it's the committees or subjects that you're trying to address? I mean, is there, is there kind of... Yeah, that's a really good question. So, so you look at your business today and your strategy says, here's the business where we want to be going towards the future. And you say, you know what, that, you know, we're going to need some help getting there. There's the, we can see where it's going. Or we might say, here's a hole we have today. So, so some of it becomes very self-evident. Uh, and what it is that, um, you know, <clears throat> what it is that we need to find. And remember, um, you always want to find collaborative people. There's a, there's a phrase around boards that are nose in, fingers out. So they don't, not run the company, but they're really involved with the company. And, and you want to be able to make sure that they, they get along together as well. So, mm-hmm. so um, I just think about like some of the stuff that we, because I think a lot of people try and use in in 
in the, you know, call it the 5 million to a couple hundred million, they try and do this in their peer groups. And I think that's where the frustration of the peer groups come because you want to solve all these problems. And I like we redid our compensation structure because we were in the copier IT services and the margins disappeared on the hardware and we needed to like redo our whole comp plan. And we were just alone trying to do this and trying to figure out what, what worked. And there's so much failure <laughs> that you have to go through because you have no one to bounce it across. So being able to find and have people that you can talk to that don't have a vested interest or that have a vested interest, but not an actual motive to, to bring you one way or another is just invaluable. Yeah. Exactly. So if you look at find the, 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 the keys to maximize board effectiveness, so you have a board, so I want to be, make it really efficient. It, it's, it really starts with a strong chairman. And, and I'm not a fan of having the CEO be the chairman because I want an independent be the chairman that can run a meeting, that mm-hmm. can, can really hold people accountable, which is the, the second one is accountability. You know, honest and timely communications, hear about this a lot. You don't want to be surprised when you get the board book or where you're or, or when you um, you walk into the meeting that, you know, we lost our biggest customer. It's been going on for three months, but it, it, no surprises. Honest communication. Really, a good board is strategy first, reporting second. So they really are thinking strategy is the most important topic of the day. Uh, reporting on the numbers uh, and things that, you know, you can spend a lot of time going through the minutia detail, but. Uh, that should really be secondary. You should have done that beforehand and just hit the high points. And then there should be a mutual commitment, but with the ability to disagree. You know, a little contention in the boardroom is not a problem because it's because you're challenging, you know, the 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 you know conventional wisdom, which is good because if you just take conventional wisdom, you may go off the cliff because you didn't see something coming. You got to be on all the time. So that that's a you know a, a really good board. You know, it doesn't always get along on every subject, but they can, but they respect each other. They can come together with this solution. So uh, I, I think it's fantastic. And um, I, are you familiar, Jim, with the book uh, Principles by Ray Dalio that yeah. just came out? Yeah, I'm interested in getting it, yeah. Oh, it's seriously amazing. And so he calls, you know, his big thing is radical truthfulness and radical transparency. But in the context, and I'm going to so, so butcher the word because I can never pronounce it. It's called an idea meritocracy. Mm-hmm. So everybody brings ideas, can argue because everybody's got credibility, but somehow a decision is still made based on the believability or the credibility of the people that are voicing their opinions. So in that, what makes that work is it's pretty much what you just described is everybody's there, has different backgrounds, different experience and are processing this, the strategy together. But what is the, what is the ability to, or what is the process to actually make that decision? Is it the actual business owner or is it the chairman or the CEO or how does that final decision get made after all of the input is given? There's a reason why there's odd number of people on boards. (laughs) Got it. Got it. So when you say that you know, you got the 10 year marriage. So obviously you're bringing on these board members to be able to be there for 10 years with all, all things going well. How do you upgrade your board and how do you get rid of them? And how do you determine that you're not at the right level that you should be? So the, the, the one thing's in the bylaws you have, you have something that may be a term limit, like you're on a three year term limit to be renewed and you can be on the board a maximum number of like say 10 years, for example, or 12 years or something like that. And, and that's a, that, that's a pretty easy way, but you also have some other safety valves. For example, if you retire from your current position or you leave your current position, because because there's some there's some reason why we came and got you in the position that you're at today. You detend your resignation. Now we may not accept it, 
but you should tend your resignation. And so that way, it's an easy way for you to, to make, make the separation happen. How do you, you know, so how do you determine, you know, what is it that you need and, uh, and, and make, to make a change or add a, add a board member? And it's really going back and there's a, a, a exercise we do with uh, companies called the board gap analysis. You know, we, we look at the board members, their experiences, what experiences are important for the company, you know, average age, you know, you want to have the average age of the board members be in the, the you know, the low 50s, not the high 60s, for example. Uh, you, you, want to, you want to be able to look at that and say, where are some gaps and where's, where's the future coming? Um, I have one client that uh, a, a large private company here in the Twin Cities, and they see their industry changing drastically. And they realize that there's going to be a labor shortage in the future and there's other challenges coming and they don't have somebody on their board that's really one of those progressive thinkers that's facing that stuff today. So they were asked just to bring somebody in that will help them guide the waters of, of change that's going to be coming in their industry. So, so a lot of times it's, it's really looking to the future, look at what we got, look into the future and see if, where is there a gap in between and try to fill that gap. How, how often do you do that? Well, you should probably be doing it every, you know, every two or three years. The other thing with 360 reviews of your board members is a smart thing to do as well. Because, you know, you might think you're doing well, but your board members think you never say anything or you don't add anything of value. You need to, the, the, the chairman needs to hear that. He needs to see what other board members think of them. And it's not a popularity contest, but it's about uh, making sure that we're holding each other accountable. Back to the accountability issue. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, let's say I'm, you know, the CEO or owner of my, of a, of a business that's 20 some million bucks, 30 million bucks, whatever it might be. And I want to create a board of directors you know, and obviously we've talked about a lot of the different ways you can start some of the bylaws and all that, but how do you determine so that you, the gap analysis that you would be doing for someone that doesn't have a board is obviously very big. Yeah. So how do you determine what positions that where they're coming from? How, like explain your recruitment process, because I think filling those gaps and how you do that is, is, is very interesting. Well, I, I think, you know, first off, you use the example of a 20 some million dollar company. You, you, you look at what business are you in? Okay, so we need some expertise around the business that you're in because, uh, and then you look at it and say, okay, what, uh, what challenges do you have that if you had some more senior management oversight, you could probably help that with? And then the third thing is, what are your future challenges or what future directions you want to go so we could pick up some of that expertise? So we're trying to, we're trying to take care of today's world and tomorrow's world and build that bridge till tomorrow. Um, effectively. And you, once again, you're hiring senior executives that have been there and done that. Uh, so you should be able to go off and find them to, to, to do. Now, what you find interesting is many people want to serve on board. So finding the board member, if you're diligent about it, is going to happen. It's going to be a, a great experience because you're not asking that person to leave their current job. You're asking them to take on another responsibility that's mutually beneficial to to their business because you're going to learn some things and you can give to that other business some of your expertise. Well, that's actually, that was one of my questions because I think there's probably a lot of this preconceived notions of these board members have to be someone that sold a business or an executive that retired that are just looking for their, you know, something to do. So that's obviously not what you just alluded to. So the, how, I mean, are these people that are currently, you know, like you said, currently executives, business owners, like how do you go about finding these people? Uh, it's well, first off, we have an incredibly large network. So we do, we, and we've talked to so many owners and executives over the years. You just, you have that, but, but you do some, 
some really old fashioned uh, research and, um, and, and networking to, to be able to find the person. And oftentimes, this person knows that person, say, I'm not a good fit, but this person over here, I, I'm in the middle of a board search right now, I just kicked it off. And somebody that I was really impressed with that I think would have a good fit. They, and, and, uh, and I reached out to him and said, hey, would you consider being on this board? He said, you know, I'm going to pass at this time. I don't have the bandwidth with it. But here's somebody I think is pretty good. Never didn't know that person. So I've reached out and talked and, and connected with him. We'll see if he's the right kind of fit and has an interest. Because it's, it's fit and it's an interest. you you got to have both. Yep. Because, uh, because you're, making a pretty, you're making that 10-year commitment, right? So, you know, you know I'm just kind of curious. Like, if you were to go, how do you sell the company that you're trying to create the board for? Is it compensation? Is it the vision of the business? Is it the personality and culture? How do you, you know, how do you actually make that sales pitch to well, these candidates? Well, companies with strong brands are pretty easy to sell. <laughs> so yeah. We've got some incredible clients here. And, you know, you just mention their name, they go, oh, I think that company is so wonderful. I'd love to be able to be involved in that. That's the easy, easy part. But then, mm-hmm. but the other end of the spectrum, boy, I never heard of it. What are they all about? And then these are, there's a billion dollar plus companies, but sometimes you just, they're just under the radar. So you really, you have to say, this is what the, once again, people are predisposed to want to serve on boards. And so that's, that's a positive thing that you got going for you, but you really have to explain to them what the business is like, what the challenges they're having and what kind of expertise we're, they're looking for to bring in. You know, anybody ask you for some help with something you're good at, you're probably going to be predisposed to want to do that. And compensation comes in. The definitely compensation comes in. It's it's about fourth or fifth on most people's list. Time commitment comes in um, because it could be it could be in a real remote place. It's hard to get to, and it takes some. You know, every board means a three day event, and they can't take three days out of their 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 quarter and things. So so it's got to, those come into play. Um, but but then the but the second thing I would say that's most important is is the executive that says what can I get back from this? What will I learn? Mm-hmm. What they think is different than what they get, but they always get something back. But but you have to remind them of that. These are the, the value you get back for your business. You'll be able to see what things are. How do you, I mean, is there is there like an interview process that you guys go through? And like, I mean, is it just kind of like hiring a normal executive or what? What's it's, the... it's a lot like hiring a normal executive, I would say. But but it's a different kind of an interview because it's, it's not just functional. You know, you're not just saying, oh, so you manage 5,000 people. Oh, that's good. We check that box. No. You, you want to look at it because remember the board is a very strategic um, piece of the business. So we need to find people that have really good strategy background and combined with good execution with with some relevant experience and have a personality that fits really well with what that board is and what that company is. So there's a lot of uh, smaller minutiae. So yeah, we we do this a lot like an executive search, but it's uh, but but. The way we approach it is going to be completely different because it's um, because once again we're not asking to, to leave the company and join. This compensation and, and location mean a lot more if you're asking somebody to, to move across country to to take on a position. And it's like, but if you're looking for the board, it's, that's less important. It's more about the cultural and experiential fit. Do you find it a, a hard, Jim, to find people that don't have egos? Because you got to have just a whole altruistic perspective on the world because to throw a bunch of people with egos in there is going to be miserable, obviously for a lot of different reasons, but how do you filter through that, that main, that main variable? Yeah, I think that's that, that, by spending time with them. The, one of the things I've learned over the years, executive search as well is the more touches I have with somebody, 
the more I get to know who they are. You know, talking to them late in the day, talking early in the day, talking to them you know, face-to-face, you know, scheduling things and see how flexible they are. So one of the things that's on our radar, because um, oftentimes we're doing, you know, Minnesota or Midwest companies are pretty family-driven and things like that. GE people, sometimes you got to be pretty aware because GE has got a high testosterone. <laughs> and they come with that already. That doesn't mean that's who the person is. But a lot of people right. that they got far in GE, that's they, they, they were that kind of way. So so you, you all of a sudden your radar is up and you go, I just want to make sure that that's not going to happen. So that that's easy mm-hmm. one to, to filter out. But um, but in, but but di- you know different companies have different cultures that you know about, and so you want to filter that out to make sure it's not going to come through. So then you know as you've you know if you've got the personality fit and then the expertise fit, trying to bridge the gap between today and tomorrow's world, um, is there a, a a typical set of pillars or subjects that you try and find as you blend all this together, whether it's finance, you know, marketing, security, governance? I mean, what what are some of the main subject pillars that you try and find in a blend of all these? That's a really good question. And and kind of one of the last subjects I wanted to talk about with you today is I get contacted all the time by people who want to be on boards. And so, and I, what I try to tell them is, you know, uh, I I can't put you on a board. I can't find one, but, but at the same time, you know, there's a list of things that you, that a great board member will have. And I suggest that they make sure that they qualify. So the first thing is, Everybody who gets on a board needs to be a financial star. They need to understand how to how to read a PL and a balance sheet and a cash flow statement, and all of those things, because every doesn't matter what the business is, they all have financials. Better know mm-hmm. that. The second thing is you, you know, what's your functional expertise? There's got to be uh, you know, functionally I'm a manufacturing or I'm a sales or marketing, <laughs> I'm a finance, or I'm a CEO, but there's a functional inside of a company the expertise that they bring. There's an industry expertise, so they might be in the software industry, or they may be in the, you know, consumer packaged goods industry. That's that's important. The next thing is leadership skills. We need we need leaders to be on boards because of, because they understand the challenges of running a business. There's a uh, what I call an it factor. So an it factor is a you know, something beyond all of that. It could be their personality. Could be the it factor might be where they're located. And we've done board searches where. We need to find somebody, but not here, or but or they say, but not in Michigan. Or we want somebody that's that's located in the Southwest because we have a big growth area in the Southwest. So some of those it's are you know could be tangible. It could be um, one of the searches I'm doing right now. It's the woman, the leading candidate, is 35 years old, and she brings age diversity. So she's got the age diversity thing going in the opposite direction, and that's a that's a good thing because she's. You know, she, she'd be on there for her technology expertise. So that it factor comes into play. The readiness is an important place as well. Readiness. Are you ready to serve on a board? A lot of people say they are, but when it comes down to it, are they willing to commit the time and life? One of the things is um, that I, I listened to a podcast uh, about boards the other day, and the, the person made a really good point. They said, are you somebody that people will listen to? When you <laughs> she's going to yeah. preach or are you somebody that brings such great value that others want to hear you speak that is a really important thing that we look and do you and does it mean something when you speak versus just rambling all these ideas without actually listening to everybody else that's right that's 
How, how, you know, I'm just, you brought in that age diversity and I, uh, I've heard a couple cool things. I mean, I, that I've read in, uh, some of the main publications like Forbes and Inc and Entrepreneur and such were how are people blending the baby boomers and the millennials and the next generation? Are you, you, is there any cool takeaways that you've seen of what, how people have embraced that? I have not seen it. So there's something that's going to happen here in the next number of years. So there's going to be, um, we talk about diversity on boards. There's going to be a, a tsunami of women joining boards in the next 10 years. And I've got three daughters, so I'm all for this. But, and, and the reason is because if you look at the average board, it's pretty much guys in their 60s that are on boards that are CEOs. I and mean, definitely big public companies. They brought some diversity into it as well. But you're seeing more and more companies look at the board, like this 35-year-old gal we're talking about, and say, Boy, they, they can bring some things quick to the table that we don't that we don't have. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think they specifically seek out Gen Xers or Millennials. Um, but if but if they're presented with it, they're a little bit more. I think especially as we get this generation of board members retiring, the next generation will be much more open to it. But remember, the one of the things about being a uh, an effective board member is this leadership skills. And how do you get leadership skills? You get leadership skills by leading people. So oftentimes you don't get that chance until your late 30s, early 40s, late 40s to lead, you know, be a diverse leader. So sometimes it tends, we want people with good experience. So you tend. That's just the nature of years built up of experience. Exactly. That's what it turns out to be. As we're kind of wrapping up here, Jim, it, what are, you know, is, if there, is there something that you want to highlight that we've talked about or something that you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I, you know, the one thing is that uh, I was at a meeting about three months ago. I was. I had been on this uh, search, doing a, a search for a, a, a division of a public company here in Minnesota. And I was presenting to the CFO of the public company the, the findings. I'd been on a, a week-long tour of the country interviewing board candidates. And I went through the, the book, the board book I put together. And I'm going through it, and I'm halfway through it. And the CFO stops. He Jim, Jim, stop. He says, you really like what you're doing, don't you? He said, I just love this. This is awesome. <laughs> and... It was it was it, it made it was so fulfilling for me because I am passionate about it and it, it's a passionate subject that that I like. It's not for everybody, but but it, I'm so glad it, it showed through to him that I care that much about it. And I think that's one of the things that the clients that we work with and the board members that we recruit feel that way. And that's that uh, in this world, this little world that we created is it's a it's a it's something to be very passionate about because you can help companies become more successful. Well, and it's, and that is so important, you know, because I've used recruiters in the past and, you know, it's, they have to understand you. I mean, you really, really have to understand me, where I want to go, what I want to do, because how else are you going to be able to surround people with me, around me that are going to be able to do that if you don't, aren't passionate about it and don't understand the whole situation? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Jim, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? So the easiest way is just go to our website which is www.cardinalboardservices.com. And uh, we've, got, we've, got, we've got resources you can download uh, and you've got our contact information on there as well for both myself and my partner. And so that's probably the easiest. It's got our phone numbers, email addresses, everything. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Take care, Ryan. I really appreciate the time. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jim. Uh, here are some of my main takeaways. And the, the top three that I had were the first being 
the real clear definition and the clarity that Jim brought to what an actual board of directors is and the roles that they play, how that's different from a board of advisors, which are just people that are giving you advice, but not actually voting or holding you accountable without the bylaws and the governance. Um, and then understanding the difference of a board of directors compared to a CEO peer advisory group, because I think that everybody needs some variations, but the board of directors is really the one thing that you need to surround yourself with the top talent and expertise that can hold you and your company accountable to take you to the level that you need to go. Because being alone is so daunting and being able to have a committee that understands the specific topics that you're trying to address is absolutely amazing. The second main takeaway I had was that if you have a family business or if you've got a business with a very crucial CEO that is running the business and most of the day-to-day, -day, having a board of directors that can help govern and help strategize with the multiple parties to be the sound and voice of reason and then can actually push you forward without all the political BS that comes with having multiple parties that have a vested interest in a specific subject. And the last takeaway and the third takeaway that I had was the qualities of a great board member and the seven different things that Jim listed are fantastic. And making sure that you're not just bringing your family member, your banker, or anybody that knows you and has this preconceived notions or perspective of you and the company, finding the expertise that you actually need to bring you to the next level is huge and making sure that you're not just sacrificing that because it's too much work. So I really hope you enjoyed the interview with Jim. Lots of great takeaways. And always remember, if you want any of the links, they're in the show notes.